hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Hello, and welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who Science Accuracy Podcast. My name is Professor Joseph Ford. I am here with my glamorous assistant, Simone Hart. How are Hello. you, Simone? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. Now, Simone, do you know what a bootstrap paradox is? No, tell us. <laughs> I am, and I most certainly will not be consulting the online resource Wikipedia. So it I is, never it, doubted it. <laughs> a time travel paradox in which the consequences of an event in the future travel back in time and cause an event in the past or present, which in turn is among the causes of the first event, forming a causal loop in which each event is caused by the other. Oh, that makes it quite clear. Thank you. You know, if that is the synopsis of a Stephen Moffat script, I don't know what <laughs> is. What the fuck does that all mean? So basically, <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine Beethoven's fifth. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. And someone is a big fan of Beethoven who goes back into the past yeah. to talk to Beethoven and finds that there was no Beethoven. Right. And so, because he's such a big fan of the music and he's got the music with him, yeah, he then becomes Beethoven because someone has to create oh. the music. Well, I've seen and many so, science fiction stories like this. Okay, go well, on. Exactly. And this is actually what, what the Doctor says in this episode. So someone comes back and says, well, Beethoven must have existed because I've got the sheet music, but no one here knows about it, but I've got the music, so I brought it back. And got someone else to to play Beethoven and be. Is it a this... bit like when uh, Captain Benjamin Sisko goes back in time in past tense and becomes that fella of the Bell Riots? Yes. Oh no, because he dies, doesn't he? So he just takes his place. Yeah, but it, it's a sort of, sort of similar thing that yeah, something happens and so you become that person. And so, how does that occur in this episode? Because. They go back to before the village was flooded. Yes. And deal with the Fisher King, which then sets in motion oh. all of the things because they take away the power pack. Yes. To blow the dam up. So that's why the power pack is missing that they're investigating in part one. I see. And the dam floods the place, which is why they're underwater in the first episode. Exactly. It's very clever. It is. Um, wow. It's quite mind-blowing, actually. Maybe because I was so dense was why I didn't enjoy this episode. Because now you've explained it to me. I think that's quite clever. Mm -hmm. um, I now retract the statement I made at the beginning of this episode. I'll start again. <clears throat> Welcome back to uh, A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the scientific accuracy podcast with Professor Simon Hart and his glamorous <laughs> assistant, Josephine Ford. Oh, <laughs> I know I'm just a dumb assistant. <laughs> we've done it, we've done it, we've done it, we've done, done it. it. <laughs> we've fucking cracked this episode, though. Uh-huh. Oh, wait, we haven't started it yet. No, we haven't. Um, and we've got one of <laughs> one of this era's sort of defining things is Peter Capaldi talking to the audience. Oh, I don't like it so much. Do you like mm -hmm. it? Well, I don't. It's... He does it so well that it's quite likeable, but it's very different Doctor Who to any... This doesn't happen anywhere else other than Tom looking at down the camera and saying, even the sonic screwdriver won't get, won't get me out of this one. It's another factor of the era, though, is that the cliffhanger isn't resolved and we pick up somewhere completely different. Yes. I find that very annoying. Yes, because that's not what we're used to. It can work really well. And there yes. are some times when Moffat does it particularly well. But then when everything <laughs> goes down that route, you're like, I do and, just want a linear story sometimes. And and it's sort of interesting, isn't it, that other writers in the Moffat era pick up on that Moffat thing mm. and end up doing that. 
And sometimes you wonder how much Stephen has been involved in the plotting of these stories with the authors, with the other authors, because it ends up being like that. Or whether the other authors are doing it so that it keeps Stephen happy. <laughs> yeah, because I noticed with... Who wrote um, The Girl Who Waited? That is... Uh, that was... Um... It's someone who's written before, isn't it? Yeah, it was the... Um... Oh, what's his name? Who did Rise of the Cybermen? Oh, Tom McRae, yeah. Tom McRae, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and Whithouse as well. And I think all of these, they adopted stuff. The one person who doesn't is Mark Gatiss. I think Mark Gatiss just writes... It just writes Mark Gatiss, Gatiss Doctor Who. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. why they feel like these weird traditional episodes mm-hmm. amongst all this madness. But in a, but the Peter Cabaldi's Doctor addressing the audience, I feel, is like it's a very Sherlock thing, isn't mm-hmm. it? Of Sherlock... Um, in those shows talking, looking down the camera and talking at you and being very clever and being I the cleverest just person as insufferable when Benedict Cumberbatch does it to me as well mm-hmm. So, and it, it's a level of artifice because who's he talking to? well, yeah us <laughs> well, or is he talking to himself? oh, you possibly, know, and, yeah but, but we get it, because uh, it works so well at the start of Listen that they then do it again and again and again yeah and to the point where it's at its most insufferable that agonizingly long speech in the tardis before he regenerates avocado yes. pears and all that bullshit just get on with it just, why don't you just die already? <laughs> you know? mind you i felt that way about tenant he's my favorite yeah well he's, yeah well he just went on and on and on <laughs> and then came back twice yeah, exactly. There's no getting like rid a of bad him. smell. The doctor that never goes away. <laughs> oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, look. Okay. Shall we go into episode two? I think there might be some untr- interesting things to unpick here. I think there might be. And the you know the third love of our life, Fraser Gregory, has got some has questions. He's got twenty throw questions. The twenty? No, not quite. <laughs> I'll be There's a lot. Is there a snog Mary Lloyd? Yeah. Okay. Well, so let's <laughs> play and do that one first. Okay. Right. Uh, Should I count us in? Yes, please. Let's okay. See. In Lost five, four, three, two, one. Let's go before the floods. It's a bit of previously going on here. The nice thing about this episode being so different from the first is it doesn't fall down that Moffat trap of the um, previously on spelling out the conclusion. No, because you don't know where this is going. I did the Wedding of River Song earlier. uh, Earlier, sorry, earlier this week. And I'll tell you now, the pre-titles was all the test selector this, the test selector that. When it came Mm -hmm. to, you know, how did the Doctor not die? Well, it was all Uh pointed out in the first 30 seconds. Okay, are you going to do his Snog Mario voice? Okay, so Snog Mario, Snog Mary trick into standing underneath an exploding dam. <laughs> Doctor Who's Fisher King, Terry Gilliam's Fisher King, or Beatrix Potter's Jeremy Fisher? Oh, he's so good at these. <laughs> he is. I don't know who the other two are. <laughs> um, so I'm going to... Oh, it's a terrible costume. So I'm going to put Doctor Who's Fisher King in front of the water as he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he sort of wobbles as he walks about. <laughs> He's too, too... The costume's too tall for the actor. Um, uh, Enid Blyton, I'll snog. And Terry Gilliam, I'll marry. Yeah, well, Terry Gilliam's Fisher King was a great film. So I haven't seen that for years. I should watch that again. Well, who was that Fisher King? Was he lovely? I can't remember who was in that film. I haven't seen it for a very long time. I remember liking it at the time. We'll assume that anyone in an Enid Blyton book is just lovely. Oh, it was Beatrix Potter. Oh, even Beatrix Potter. Even better. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Peter Capaldi is looking straight at me. He is. <laughs> right into your eyes. <laughs> That's scarier than the cliffhanger. Uh-huh. So what do you think of the guitar? Why do you ask me questions like that? Because I want to say, I really don't like it. Neither do I. I'll tell you something, right? Yeah. When my marriage came to an end, I effectively mm-hmm. had my midlife crisis. Yeah. I had two and a half years where I shagged every single bloke I possibly could in the mm-hmm. planet. That is what Peter Capaldi is doing in series nine. Uh-huh. 
with his shades and his guitar and all of it. It's midlife yeah. crisis, Doctor. <laughs> but the the guitar in this theme makes it so much better, and they should have kept it. Oh, I don't remember it being there. Do you know? Oh yeah. Oh no, no. It's really it's much better. It's... But because we've got the but. Do you know what? One thing I don't think Doctor Who should deliberately do is try to be hip. No. Like, I feel like some people are just effortlessly cool, yeah? Uh-huh. Shooty Gatwa, every single scene with him will be effortlessly cool, cool. because he mm-hmm. exudes it. Yes. Now, he's an amazing actor. He is not cool, you know? Uh-huh. Like, he's not so hip you... with it. No. So you didn't like him standing on a tank playing the guitar? But that for me is some of the worst scenes in the new series. It is Hooray, a, we it's agree. just pure <laughs> vamping. Yes, it, it, it's just a load of quirky shit to prevent the plot actually starting in that episode. Yes. Also, oh, look, we're on location. We are. Look, we're outside. It's very oh, I blue. See, I see what you mean about the grading. It does. Look it is blue, very, very grey and grim and horrible. Isn't it supposed to be in the Soviet though? No, no, no! It's actually in Scotland, and it's a. Oh, it's even a, worse. It's a... <laughs> well, Scotland's not like that. <laughs> Excuse me, I've been to Scotland five times. Every single time I was there, it was raining. Oh, when I when I went in 2012, it we had a freak heat wave. Oh no! <laughs> so Scotland is sunny to me and beautiful. <laughs> the weird thing about it, that sort of rugged landscape in Scotland, is yeah. that it doesn't matter if it's raining; it's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Everywhere you go is beautiful. However, I do believe this might be Cardiff. It's definitely Wales. <laughs> Which is as grim as Scotland. So. <laughs> <laughs> Scotland. Do, I mean, do we ever go to Scotland? Doctor Who has... N- n- well, it's been to Scotland, but it's never filmed in Scotland. Oh, you've been to Sussex, Scotland. Yes. We've been to <laughs> Cardiff, Scotland in Tooth and Claw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Mark Doddick and Dave Rennie must be feeling a bit pissed off. Well, they must be, yeah. They have, need Doctor Who locations to go and visit. Oh, finally, Scotland's in... Do- oh, wait. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're not going to... I think it's just too expensive to get there, you know? Yeah, it's a long way. Mm. So, um, so what is this base then? So this is um, so we're in 1980. It's the height of the Cold War, or at least some Cold Warish. So they've created a village that looks like a Soviet village, sort of get in the mindset of Russians, I think, and sort of use it sort of almost like an army base where they could go in and, and sort of pretend to attack. It's a very sort of new avengers kind of thing right. where they would have a a village that sort of was used for for army practice and spy practice and things like that oh, i bloody love the first series of the new avengers i don't care oh, me what too. says mm-hmm. when she was in that window and her pajamas were falling down Man, that's one of the best today's biggest there. offer <laughs> <laughs> and that music yeah the eagle's nest is one of my favorite episodes of the avengers the first I even one. like the one with the giant rat gnaws yeah that's great do you remember the one with the birds cat amongst the pigeons yeah, oh yes She's holding the table and they're mm-hmm. poking some scissors through it <laughs> oh amazing Oh, sorry. Back to before the flood. It's Paul K. Who He's is alive. Paul K? So he was um he was uh he's a comedian for a while. So he played a character called Dennis Penis. Oh, is he? Yeah. Who used to turn up at film premieres and annoy people and Yeah, I remember. Yeah. You can't really tell underneath all that latex, can you? No. Mm-hmm. And he's that actually turned out to be a really great actor. I think that's terrific makeup. Yeah, it's really, really good, isn't it? I do like the fact that they've taken that very scary Undertaker ghost and then made him a comic character in this yes. episode. Mm-hmm. That's quite nice. Exactly. So he's a, a Tivolian. Again, as we discussed in the last episode, like David Williams's character in um, The God Complex. So it's Toby Whithouse bringing his creations back again. How will we ever hear from them again, though, do we? I don't think so, because Toby Whithouse doesn't do another story with them, so... Yeah, that's, there's only a few that stick, isn't there, in the new series? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, the Angels... Dune. Did you Dune, yeah. 
Oh, so basically, Rusty Davis here are monsters. <laughs> yes. Um, the silence. No, well, there was one appearance in that prison, wasn't there? In there was, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. But that's not really much, is it? No. I would have liked the pating to go on and on. <laughs> Putting Nibbler from Future Armor in Doctor mm-hmm. Who's goal. So, so Fraser asks, should director Daniel O'Hara have returned for another story? I don't think so. No, I do. Like, I imagine, imagine this being directed by Harper or Talele or someone like that. I think we keep using the word competent. It is well directed, but I think it could have been brilliantly directed. It's nothing special, is it? Mm-hmm. He's good on the pace. And but... there isn't much pace to it. There's there's a couple of running around scenes, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of talking as well. Yeah. But there's nothing outstanding here. I mean, I'd just go, go as far as to say I think the lighting is better than the direction. The lighting does a lot. Yeah, of the lighting is really, really good. Um, And, like, again, in comparison with The Impossible Planet, which was directed by James Hawes? James Strong. James Strong, sorry. What is it you call yeah, him again? Reassuringly expensive James Strong, who can find the most expensive way to shoot something. And I just remember lots of edits, lots of cuts in the scenes. Yes. You know, and so- this is much slower. It always felt I'm claustrophobic measured. and pacey in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, you're right. This, it's sedate. Yes. I'm not sure a thriller should be sedate, you know. Yeah, it's 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 atmospheric, but it's not it's not top it's not top flight direction. The trouble is, is I think you can sort of point at any scene. Like I just saw an amazing low angle shot of Capaldi with that. Yeah. Brilliant. Mm-hmm central console ceiling behind him and that's a great shot but i think as a, i think a i think shot. Mm-hmm. does does individual shots make a fantastic hole not really no but it's weird you know because you look at Moffitt's time and apart from Talele and a few others no one really sticks no um the what's his name who directs the god complex um uh, is it nick hurran he does three or four, doesn't he? he? Does, yeah, he and he does the Day of the Doctor, which is very, very well directed. Bellaru does Pandora opens Big Bang and Christmas. Oh, Carol. Toby Haynes, yeah. But then he's gone. Yeah, and Saul Metstein. And he can only get to Lely a couple of times a year, so he, he yeah he gets he a, can't the, keep the big story. Yeah, mm-hmm. <clears throat> can he? He can't quite keep them. No. Well, it's think of Russell's time: Eurus Lynn, Graham Harper, who else? James Strong. Oh, and in the He's first year, year. Um, what's his name? In the first year, Dalek. Joe Hearn. Joe Hearn, you know. And James Hawes. So the ones that are there, they're in it, you know. They're speaking yeah. to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And then you, there are a lot of one-shot directors as well, like the fella who did um, Nightmare in Silver. Or yes. the fella who did um, uh, Widow in the Wardrobe and the Rings of Akatin, mm-hmm. you know, where they just do one or two. Yeah, and they, yeah just don't come back it's like jnt yeah <laughs> jnt just kept all the old farts around didn't he yeah <laughs> um ron jones and <laughs> people like that okay what else has he got for us come on all right what have we got can you do it in a fraser accent please no because <laughs> it'd kill me <laughs> <clears throat> Okay. Um, where does this rank with Toby Whithouse's other stories for Doctor Who? I think we sort of covered that last episode, didn't we? Yeah. Where it's sort of somewhere mid-table. For me, I've the top tier is a, a draw, a three-way draw. School Reunion, A Town Called Mercy, The God Complex. Yep. And then everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry, Lie of the Lands right at the bottom. Right at the bottom. And yeah, yeah Vampires of Venice and this uh, sort of mid-table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know this whole thing about the Doctor being a skeleton? Yeah. Yeah. Is that a trick? Yes. What, he never was? No. Is it just a projection then? Is it, Yeah, he, it's, a, it's a hologram projected by the Sonic... 
sonic glasses and he's actually in the freezer is the that whole time. satisfying well it's clever actually and i when i was watching it earlier in the week i i'd forgotten that twist and so i thought oh well that's quite good isn't it it does mean the cliffhanger means nothing though doesn't it well that's always a problem there's so many cliffhangers that mean nothing and it's, but back, it's a back. good it's a good image that stays hey. in your mind for the the whole week doctor who as a ghost <laughs> yeah i could see it in my mind's eye <laughs> and if there were any children watching at this point in the show's history <laughs> then, i'm not sure there were no. then that would be a, a memorable image i think from this era their parents got to don't cremate me and went no no <laughs> in fact Fraser's Bianca's got to into the Dalek well, and she yeah, said no, and said no. <laughs> <laughs> it was turning people off wasn't mm-hmm. it, at this point I think not the fans I think the fans sort of gobbled this stuff I up. think the fans love this uh I see so much so many people who who absolutely adore this era sort of above all the others I think because it is, as we said in the first episode, people want Doctor Who to be dark. But the thing is, uh, something very pertinent that Gary Russell said on one of my commentaries is you don't want to please just the fans because that is about 50,000 people. Exactly. You do not want an audience of 50,000. You want an audience of sort of 5 million, you know? No, and this is one of the things I think sometimes the makers of Doctor Who forget is that every so often, I think we've touched on this or someone has touched on this on a hamster because you've done so many, someone's bound to have said this. You need to remember that every sort of three or four years you've got the next intake of children and so you want a Doctor Who that will appeal to them and what are you doing to bring the children in? And this is something that that sometimes 80s Doctor Who forgot was that you need to do something something that brings the next generation right in and they're they're becoming fans and i think doctor who through the 60s and 70s was very good at having those stories or or eras where it was a jumping on point that was a perfect place to start and i'm not sure the Capaldi era was a place for new children to start watching Doctor Who at all. To have terrible nightmares, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Terrence Dick said it best, didn't he? I can't remember what commentary it's on. He goes, you don't want to make it for the fans because they're going to watch it anyway. Exactly. You mm-hmm. make it for everybody else. And you know, I'm going to say something quite broad now then. You might disagree with this. I think Russell did that brilliantly. I think he made the show accessible for children while still being very dark at times. He didn't forget the sort of puerile comedy that kids love. No. Mm-hmm. You know, the fans hated it, but the kids loved it. Um, I think... Uh, remember, I'm speaking generally. This isn't everybody. Yeah. I think Moffat did lose the kids. And then I think <coughs> lost more. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think they brought in different audiences, though. I think Moffat yes. brought in those that liked initially, like the fairy tale stuff, and then people that liked the darker stuff. And I think Chibber's era certainly brought in a higher quotient of uh, women. Yeah, you yep. know, so there was there was new people coming to those eras. I'm wondering if this next era will be when a lot of the kids come back. Mm-hmm. I hope, I hope so. so. I still love a farting alien. I still love a burping bin. <laughs> oh, I roared with laughter at that in the first. I, I went love... online and everyone was cringing about that. And I just remember, oh, no, I loved it. I thought that was perfect. But like the idea is they're windbag politicians. Yeah. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. It's you know? absolutely perfect. I was like, yeah. is this all going over your heads, people? Uh-huh. I do like these locations that they've got here. It's good, got... isn't it? It's. It's a, a good location for hiding and things being, yeah, and being round corners and monsters coming round the corner. It's a house uh, set up in a distressed building. Yeah. So it, it, there's like a discordance to it, isn't yeah, there? So it, yeah, and a sort of tired industrial area is a good setting for a Doctor Who adventure. <laughs> oh, no, look at me. I'm about to follow a compliment with an insult. So I, I don't know who that woman is. Who is that woman? That's one of the women from the base. <laughs> you don't know who she is, either. No. Uh, well, even before, very tellingly, before the episode we we um we started the commentary, 
I got IMDb up because I couldn't remember the names of the characters because apart from Cass, who's the only one, yeah. and Prentice, who was the um the Undertaker, and the others, I have no idea what their names are. Tell me the names of the characters in the Impossible Planet. Oh, Zachary Crossflame, Scooty, um the other woman whose name has now <laughs> escaped me, but who was really lovely. Ida Scott. Mr. Jefferson. Your favourite, the sexy one. Yeah, Toby Zed. There you go. The, you I know them, call. yeah. Instantly. I could tell you the names of all the characters in Waters of Mars, you know? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So there is a skill to this, I think. Yeah, and the because the characters are, are quite generic and samey, none of them stand out. And so the, the ones who do stand out are the ones who are, are slightly different. And, you know, I'm going to throw a compliment now. Oh, Dave Rennie's going to get a hard on listening to this. If you're there, Dave, prepare yourself for this. All right. It's something to do with the gangers, is it? It is. I could name every character in the gangers, two-parter. And they are vividly drawn. I don't yeah. like any of them. I think they're all... No, you don't have to like them, but they're all well drawn. I remember them, though. That horrendous woman with the mm-hmm. elongated head. The Scottish fellow who went on to for Big Finish, you know? Yeah. Um, All of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. there is a skill to this yeah and again they're all very well played they're all good actors no one is bad but none of them are particularly memorable oh and i think this is what we're saying there? here isn't it <laughs> he just said i'm changing history to save clara that's going to become very important this season it is you know which leads me to to another question from fraser Oh, go on. Who says, um, Moffat tends to have layers with his series, i.e. Series 8, we have the tragedy of Danny Pink as the arc. With the... Am tragedy, I yes. An... Tragedy that he existed in the first place. <laughs> with the, am I a good man as an overall theme? If the hybrid is the arc of Series 9, what do you think the theme of Series 9 is? I think it's the danger of travelling with the Doctor... And that becoming addictive. No? That's that's what Fraser says for me. It's the Doctor faces the consequences of his actions and Clara finally becoming the Doctor. Yeah. My trouble with it is it doesn't feel seeded. It, we've had no. no hint of it before. And I honestly don't really believe that Clara would be that person. No. So it doesn't work, but... It, that's the thing, but it is there. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. What and then? Do you know what I really hate? Sorry, I'm sorry. We're going back on sort of conversation series nine now. What I really hate is the perverse characterization of the Doctor in Hell Ben, who's willing to tear down the entire universe to save Clara fucking Oswald. Like <laughs> there was a time when companions died, and he went, "Oh, that's really sad. Let's go to the Great Exhibition." Yes. How did we get from there to? <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> and how is this a better approach mm-hmm. it's not it's no it, it, and it, this is the reason why people have an issue with the companions in the chibbers era is because everything was taken so fucking operatic before yeah, that. that actually you just want to bring it down and they're just ordinary people who are traveling with the doctor and it's almost like going back to the classic series where it's ordinary people that the doctor meets yeah. who he or she happened to quite like. I just and they just of go... relief in it. It's like... Yeah, well, it is. God, yeah. but I just don't understand how the Doctor would ever get into the mindset of saying that the universe is less important than Clara. Uh, it's... Yeah, it's. it's I love this... my Mark. Yeah, I love him to pieces. But, but if... you're not going to tear the universe down. I wouldn't for him. blow up the world. No, <laughs> kill everybody. It, it's this thing of the Doctor being a mythic, epic character. Mm. I think that's it. <laughs> and you know, I've said it before, and I'll people say it, I preferred it when the Doctor was a talented amateur who ran away from Gallifrey because he was bored, because uh, time lords were bored. Improviser, yeah. And muddled through, and I think that's far more satisfying than a lonely god. Or the I I like him being the last of the time lords. I loved him tearing down Doctor Who mythology, but then that becomes a burden as well because 
you end up being, oh, I'm just the last and I'm, but I was a god and my people were were mythical and, and all of this. And I think it's just... It's hard, it isn't is... it? And then you get you usually get the best of these new series doctors when they push away from that bullshit. Yeah. Like exactly. Ted in, in The Unicorn and the Wasp, who just blazes in that. He's brilliant. Yeah. No mm-hmm. hint of that last of it. Matt no. Smith in The Doctor's Wife, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. When there's there's none of that. And it's it all stems from the 1990s and the new adventures where that where did a lot of damage. Yeah. Where where the fans who were in their twenties who were writing Doctor Who were, I think, slightly embarrassed that it was Doctor Who that they loved. And so they had to recreate the the Doctor into this mythical character who was tearing down time and was time's champion and all of these big things that the Doctor had never been based on a couple of lines that were throwaway like lines to create a bit of mystery in the McCoy era. And then suddenly that sticks. Did you like any of that? At the time... I bought into all of that because I was, I was what the new adventures came out sort of for me between the ages of 16 and 22 or whatever, you know, and that's the perfect time for all of that guff, you know, and you buy into all of that because yeah, because this is what you want Doctor Who to be like. You want it to be like everything else. And then suddenly you forget that actually Doctor Who is far better when it's, when it's just Doctor Who. I see I I hated it. And oh, I, right. okay. I I put books down like Warlock and things like that, where and damaged goods and things where the doctor's treating his companions like employees mm-hmm. and is doing terrible things and, and and actively sort of torturing people and all this and I'm like, what is this? And I, mm-hmm. I, I rejected it outright. I've gone back to it now and I recognize it influences a lot of this in the new series mm-hmm. in a positive way as well. Let's not forget that because a lot of those new adventure stroke big finish writers contribute oh, yeah. to season series one mm-hmm. in a very positive way. Yeah, but it's that it's that whole thing I think also of sort of the need that sometimes you equate drama with being miserable, and they and so many of the books went out and out to make ex-companions lives the most miserable thing after the doctor had gone even joe grant got a miserable divorce and it was awful wasn't it i know just just, why why can't you let people be happy that's why and i know it appalls some people that's why i love it in the vanquishers where jody whittaker's staring this watch in the face and it's like it offers all this angst and drama and all of this and she goes i like who i am Fuck it. No, <laughs> I'm going to go and have some adventures. Yeah, I think that is a really great piece of writing, to be honest, because it keeps it there. Because the minute you open it, then all the mystery's gone. You know? But it's also very telling that we're not discussing the story that we're watching. Well, it's Fraser's <laughs> question that took us here, you know? It is. Yes. I blame well, you, Fraser. I'm going to say two things then to you. One, I'm going to say there was a brilliant jump scare a minute ago where Clara was looking out of a window, a porthole, and a ghost popped up. Yes. And, fr- and that was a good jump scare. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Who don't usually get a lot of those right. So no. that was great. My second thing is this Fisher King, right? In silhouette in the dark. Bravo. Don't show it. When he, st- when he comes out into the light and waddling along. <laughs> it's the worst costume in the new series, I think. Mm-hmm. And and they get Britain's tallest man to play him. I oh, know. But it's so like, it... why didn't someone say to Dr- no, 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 keep him in the dark. It's working. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And that's the mark of a good director who could recognise that and say, well, actually, we'll just show bits of this and we don't need to ever see- quite see the whole thing. Have we gone past the best sequence of the whole thing yet, where the axe is scraping along the floor? I don't know. I, I, I can't remember where that happens. I think we might have had that. A lovely deaf lady can't hear it. Yeah. I remember watching that and screaming at the telly. It's behind yeah, you. Me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there are things this gets right. Yeah, that's where you're engaged. <clears throat> oh, so, my God. Look at these three ghosts. 
all getting very close great? to hot man because that's exactly uh-huh. what I'd be doing as well. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you've noticed he's got some sort of hair poking out of his t-shirt. Yeah, I've just seen that and he's a bit sweaty and a bit. Jesus, I'll tear that t-shirt. Oh, sorry, go on. Ask the question. <laughs> so Fraser also asks, who gives the best turn as the Fisher King? So we've got Peter Serafinovich as the voice. Mm-hmm. We've got Neil Fingleton as the body. And we've got Corey Taylor um, from Slipknot as the Raw. Is that right? Yeah, it's three people doing that. Uh, so what? The voice, the Raw, and the, the body. And the body. Uh, I think the body fails because they... yeah. <laughs> even if he is Britain's tallest man, uh-huh. it still made the costume too tall. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the Raw is quite effective, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Raw's good, and Peter Serafinovich is is brilliant. I've, he does great voice work. I seem to remember it's a very deep voice. Sigh. He does, yes, mm-hmm. very deep. Can I ask you, what's the Fisher King up to then? What's he doing? What's he want? What's his motive? Um, right. They're just explaining it on screen now. <laughs> My people, he just wants come, to survive, and you will do nothing to stop nothing it. To stop it. Okay. Mm-hmm. The mask is pretty good. Yeah. See, the costume is good, but yeah. it's just a bit... Like many a classic Doctor like, Who monster. Like the Ergon. <laughs> yeah. Don't move, you know? <laughs> yes. You look... Uh, it, it looked really... It was... Um, I think it was at the Worlds of Wonder exhibition in um, in Edinburgh that I went to at the start of the year. And it's a really impressive costume, but just doesn't quite work on location. You and I saw the Garm in that. We did see the Garm, yes. And lit in that scary lighting in sort of silhouette. Yeah. I mean, he looked a bit pot bellied, but he looked scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now Fraser's got a hard on. We're making everyone turned on in this one. (laughs) But this this conversation here, where he's talking about the time, where the Fisher King is talking about the Time Lords, is basically reprising what um, Mr. Finch says in. Um, in school reunion, where it's like Time Lords, I thought they were dusty senators, but you're something different. It's exactly the same. Well, I, I think uh, an actual actor saying the lines versus uh, an immobile costume saying the yes, lines. Definitely, you can get a relationship with another actor. Yeah, I mean, that that scene across the swimming pool is <laughs> phenomenally good, and it's two actors who know exactly how to do this. Facing off against each other. I did that one with Lucy McCall, you know, but that would have been a perfect one for you and me. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we'll do it again. <laughs> I listen to Lucy talking about that. She's I love that. That was a really great commentary. Yeah, Hello, she's Lucy. Just, she's always she's fabulous. Really Hello, good. Lucy. Well, we should do that as a prelude to the Sarah Jane adventures, shouldn't we? That's a good idea. I know we've done the pilot already, but no <laughs> yeah. we go back in time and do it before we've done it. <laughs> That's a great recording as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor Clara mm-hmm. now is just lost amongst the corridors. She ain't got much yeah. to do. She's having a, a bit of a companion moment of, oh, oh, is this the bit where she's going to hit, where we can't hear the axe? Yeah. And there's no music. So... No. And someone's turned Murray Gold off. The, the scraping of the axe. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, we've got the metallic scraping, the subtitles say now. So, And they wisely chose this actor, the guy in the tank top with the muscles. He's physically imposing. Yeah. And you know, and she, and she looks genuinely scared. Yeah, it's really, really well done. Yeah, like you could almost, you almost want to take this scene out of this story. Yeah, and say so this belongs in something better <laughs> because yeah. this is really good. Yeah, I mean, look at that in silhouette, Capaldi and the creature. Oh no, now he's walking. <laughs> Bless yeah. him. But he's if we struggling. those scenes of Capaldi looking up at him, I'm just demonstrating this on camera. And I'm demonstrating taking a picture now because there's photographs of that. Yeah, that silhouette. That's a great the image, creature. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I even quite like his gaping moors opening, you know? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. What are they called? What's these called? Flaps. I'm doing it now. Jowls. Flaps. Face flaps. <laughs> well, that sounds disgusting, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> <sighs> so, what? So, he's a refugee, is he? Or he's just there waiting for his people to come and pick him up? Um, I think. Um. They thought he was dead. Oh, okay. Because it's a hearse, isn't it? 
but he wasn't dead and he's come back to life or see i don't know i don't know (laughs) it's not good and yet if i asked you to detail the plot of the impossible planet um yeah exactly you could tell me that it was a prison for the devil creature Uh uh-huh and he's trying to escape yeah nice and simple Uh uh-huh yeah well the doctor's saying here you bent the rules of life and death so he's obviously pretended to be dead and it wasn't really was he on the run from his people then? Was he? I, I'm sure. No, I think he's just, just. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you know the plot of this story, please write in on Twitter and tell us because <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> and I've seen this about five times. Yes, <laughs> I know that. That's the worst. I've watched this more than any other story this year, and I, I still don't know it. <laughs> I think some plots stick, don't they? And others. Yeah, and some no, are just a bit. Yeah. Classic Who we know inside out and back to front because we've been examining those for years. The new series. I think it's the one you love of unknowable stuff. Absolutely. Oh, here we go. Axe scraping time. Yeah. This could be in a horror movie, couldn't it? It could. It's oh, yeah. Oh, it's, no, it's... Love, he's right behind you. Don't Turn around. Don't stop. Turn around. But the clever she can feel the vibrations. Yes. And so she's using her skills. And then the effect they put nice, on the eff- is really great. That's brilliant. Mm. I love that. That's 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 it just a, gives her massive agency. Yeah, and it allows and her she's... to use her disability as a huge strength. Yeah, and she is one of the few characters from that that team in the base who's actually got any agency and character. How brilliant would it be, right? Say the the deaf lady and the interpreter then went on to be the companions. Yeah, wouldn't that be brilliant? That Now that's proper representation. And then tell a story that really leans into that, like yeah. Buffy's Hush, where uh-huh. it can talk. And yeah. it's all about communication or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now that would just be something really bold, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, that's like, I always thought sort of one of the, the great things Big Finish did in their their early Doctor Who range was doing a story about an audio monster because that made perfect sense because you're mm. listening yeah. and you're having to pay attention and an audio monster that is editing the audio around you is a great... The sad truth about Big Finish is they very rarely do stories that could only be told on audio. Yeah. And that's exactly what they should be doing. Yeah, they could do more than that and you could do some really clever... Clever things because the novel sigh. We've been to Big Finish. We've been everywhere today, <laughs> except <laughs> you know. I got to say, you ever been to you know those people that sort of get dressed up in outrageous Dungeons and Dragons costumes and things like this and go out into fields and fight each other? Yeah, my my best friend Gareth does that. Well, that's what this fellow looks like here. In exactly, that it's exactly the same kind of costumes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is quite spectacular. This is though. good, isn't it? Yeah, this is nicely done. I think. It reminds me of the end of Doctor Who The Burning, though, which I've recently read. Oh, yes, with a dam bursting full of water <laughs> to solve the problem. <laughs> and actually, I hate to say it, but I think it was used better there. Yeah, well, you, you've got the water against the fire, which yeah. makes perfect sense. It's elemental, Sai. Uh-huh. <laughs> Poor old Naismith. Oh, that's right. They all get in the coffin, don't they? No, Capaldi's No, they the don't, coffin. because it opens and... The person, there's someone in it who we're not now, expecting. I do think all CGI dates. However, I do think that is spectacular that enough to tell this looks story. Pretty good, still, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's when when it pushes him over. It's very funny. Watch this! Right. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> he gets swept away. Oh dear God! I'm not sure the most fearsome monster in the story is supposed to be that funny. No. Oh dear God, that was hilarious! That was the funniest bit in the story. Yes, <laughs> there's not a lot of humour in this story. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking hilarious. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, <Ooh>! right. <laughs> that was uncanny. Well done. Oh my God, you got anything else from Fraser? Oh yeah, probably. I'll <laughs> get through them all. Um. Oh, is this a massive step forward in disability representation afforded by Cass Sophie Stone 
Um, is it undone by turning her into Daredevil at the end? Daredevil? I'm not quite sure what he means, but... <laughs> right, so what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Come back yes, and explain it. <laughs> it is a massive step forward for representation. Yes, we need some more. Let's make them the companions. Yes, there we go. Well, I think it's amazing because we're going to get... I want to call her Hebe because that's who she plays in the big finish order. Uh-huh. Ruth Madley in yeah. the new series. And she's obviously a wheelchair user and she's going to have a big role. So I feel like there's going to be some really great representation coming up. I think so. Across the board as well. I think Rusty Davis knows he can he can do it all now. You know, He can do whatever he wants. You know, he wasn't bold enough to have two men two smoking hot men snogging in the TARDIS, was he? No, no, he wasn't. And to make them a fairly normal couple. God, I love that. I love that part of the episode. No, Any I'm... more from him? That's it. We've done all his questions. Oh, well, thank you, Fraser. You Thank you... you, as always. As ever, your questions are the highlight of any recording. <laughs> now, what's occurring now? So... Now, unit are going to collect the Faraday cage and drop it into space. That's lazy. I'm sorry. That is that. Unit coming in to save the day is a bit lazy. Mm-hmm. And they'll eventually dissipate. Yeah. So, but we get some relationship stuff now, don't we? We do, yeah. So, so he's mourning the woman that he loved that is dead. O'Donnell. Okay, and um, so, but then he's going to force the other two, Cass and and Lun, um, to to talk to each other and tell her he's got to tell her that he's in love with her, and how she's going to react. It's just that rom com moment of, oh, is this going to go wrong? Is this going to go right? So, is this the best example of this? Well, it. It, it does work. It's, it's it does. Is this is this better than what happens in Love and Monsters? What with the pavement slab? Well, no. When just that <laughs> sort of acknowledgement of people falling in love who won't admit it. What well, is it supposed to be a thing between Clara and this fella here? Because they both look at each other, don't they? No, no, no. I think it's. I think Clara is sort of telling him that he needs to, because she said. Because she's been through the stuff with Danny Pink the year before, oh. and you can't let your grief sort of let you down. You've got to go back and live again. She's a love expert now, isn't she? She is. Well, she oh. is. She's had a great relationship, and she's loved and she's lost. So she knows about Greece. Did you say Greece or Greece? I did say Greece. <laughs> 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 oh, you can have oh, that one for free. I don't even want to know what she knows about Greece. <laughs> all right. I'm sure she's well lubricated. Oh, bless you. Oh, he's explaining the plot. Now, he's explaining though. that he's done the bootstrap, bootstrap <laughs> paradox. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know. I can't talk now. <laughs> oh, you're very bootstrappy. You are. <laughs> oh, dear. I do wonder, though, if you need an explanation at the end of the story, has the story been clear enough for you? What exactly? That's it? Well, yeah, have they been too clever? But I, I quite like him sort of questioning why he's done what he's done. Yes. That's good, because it's like, did I have this idea or did I... Or did I not? And I love this last shot of him. That's really good. Down at us. If you ask me, that's scarier than the cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> oh look, the next time trailer for the Ashilder episodes. Yay! So, so I do like the next one. I do. Really I, like this I, one. Do you know? I think I need to watch that one again and reevaluate that one because I didn't like it the first time I saw it. It is the only episode this year having fun. Yes, the only one. Well, mm-hmm. some people say that... the, tank, the tank and the guitar is fun, but not me. But it's not fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's hampered by the fact that Brian Blessed was supposed to play the god. Yes, in and he didn't. 
No, we could have had him come along, couldn't we? I am King Yukonus of the Quantum. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, look, I'll tell you what, you know, we watched a fairly average Doctor Who story there. I had great fun. We, well, we had a lot. There was a lot to discuss there. And take that as the greatest compliment I can give you. You make even average Doctor Who. <laughs> <That's fun. laughs> I'll take that. That's fine. <laughs> but as and I don't think this is going to be hard because we have managed to pick out positives as we've gone along yes. as well. Um, oh, I've got a great one as well. I hope you don't choose it. Um, you go first, and I'll follow you. Okay. Well, I am going to pick the scene. Um, with Cass and the axe. And I think that is the best scene of the story. I think that is absolutely brilliantly done. There's really great direction. It's tense. It's using what could be seen as a disability in an interesting way and making it something that is actually becomes a positive because the character is positive and works out a way to use a different way to find the solution to this. And I think just generally Cass in general is the best character in the story and it's a really great thing. I I don't want to say the fact that she's deaf means that there's a hook. No. Mm-hmm. But it does stand out. and But it stands yes. out not because it's a hook, but because it's satisfying. It's refreshing. Yes. And also the fact that the character is deaf, but also they cost a deaf actor, mm. I think makes it as well. Because if you'd had someone who could hear play that, I don't think it would have been played in the same way, which is why sometimes you do need actors who are sort of affected that way. I don't know the, the right way to say that without sounding awful and patronising, but you need that representation and you need those actors to do that. What it does is it leads to characters like Di in Flux. Yes. Who, despite the fact that she does have one arm, she's a kick-ass character. She's going through those passenger landscapes Mm -hmm. and showing Vindo, who's supposed to be the action hero. What's what? Mm -hmm. That's great stuff. Well, okay, I'm going to choose this now because I'm scared you can choose it. Okay. gave us the biggest laugh of the whole story. But it's the sequence where the Fisher King gets (laughs) dramatically swept away by an enormous body of water (laughs) and turns to the camera and wobbles in a very comic way and goes, Mm -hmm. oh! (laughs) And do you know what? I don't think it's supposed to be funny. I think it's supposed to be. But it is one of those moments that just transcends... It's one of those wonderful Doctor Who-y moments, isn't it? Where it's not... (laughs) You know what they're doing, but they haven't quite pulled it off, and it just becomes funny because of that. It's one of those times where it's so operatic. It's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. So, it's so over the top, and in a story where we haven't had much that's over the top like that, it's wonderful. I'm I'm going to say for my second choice, the early scenes of episode one, Under the Lake, where the Doctor and Clara come out of the TARDIS and are just exploring, mm-hmm. and there's a bit of a mystery, and we've only got like five minutes of that before they meet the crew. But it's a great five minutes. And it's a very Doctor Who thing to do. And I'm re- it's, it just makes the characters come alive for a bit, just doing standard Doctor Who things. It's no insult to those that material to say that you could interchange any Doctor and Companion. Because it means they're getting the sort of the quintessence of Doctor Who right, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's basic meat and veg Doctor Who, that is. You land somewhere, you don't know where you are, what's happened here. What You're I want to see is the and you want... Doctor and Perry. Doctor, yeah. what is this forbidden language that we can't understand, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you can hear Sarah Jane saying that, or Romana, or or Tegan, or anyone doing those lines with their respective doctors. God, imagine William Hartnell with the cards. Dodo going, come on, get the cards. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, what's that, my child? I'm, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry about the law. Or... Yes, well. Mm. Be Hartnell and Barbara. Oh, but even better. <laughs> uh, my second one is also going to be from Under the Lake, and it is the water gushing in, baby. Yeah, I like the water on the on uh-huh. the, loop. the water's <laughs> good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I feel like the middle of Under the Lake gets a bit talky, 
And so suddenly there's this massive injection of action towards the end of the episode. And there's just something tense about mm-hmm. being trapped somewhere filled with water. It's not a way I'd want to go, if I'm honest. No, no, no. It's not a nice way to go at all. And I think it works visually. And I think it gives the episode a shot in the arm right at the last minute. Yep. Okay. And my last one will be, I think the design of the ghosts is really good. And it's a love, a really eerie image. And that's the image that has stayed with me after this episode of the ghosts in the water or walking through the corridors with their eyes all in black and hollow, almost hollowed out. And the strange sort of smoky effects that they have where they're not quite there. I think that is a really great effect. And that stands up really, really well. My last thing then is going to be i love doing this with you stephen moffat <gasps> what? <laughs> who i'm sure has peripheral involvement with this but what i like is Whithouse <clears throat> is trying to write to his style especially in episode two and i don't really like <clears throat> how the bootstrap paradox is portrayed and explained because i don't think you should need both no. And you certainly shouldn't need it explained at the beginning, at the end at of the, the episode, because mm-hmm. then you've done something wrong in the middle. Um, but introducing high concept science fiction ideas to children or just to the audience yes, in okay. general, to what I consider to be a fairly lobotomized television audience these days. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that should be encouraged. And it happens Definitely. a lot in Moffat's time. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest strengths of his era is yeah. big ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes complex ideas and does them in a complex way. Just not here. Because yeah. <laughs> or too complex that it needs explaining twice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I'm overall I don't think that's necessarily a triumph of a story, but it's good. Yeah. Oh well, we keep coming back to the word competent, don't we? Yeah. And I think that is abs right from the start, I think that is absolutely the right. Right, thing. As we said, this is average Doctor Who, and that's fine. You need lots of average Doctor Who. Hang on. It's average Doctor Who anywhere else. Yeah. It's above average in this it's, season. And in unfortunately, this year, and... we're in a season where competent is a high it's bar. A high... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> And I realise that's subjective, and people might say that too. And part. people will love this and will disagree, and I'd love to hear your arguments. I know Fraser loves The Witch is Familiar and The Magician's Apprentice. I know Luke Malloy loves Heaven Sent and Hell Bent. Mm-hmm. I know Joe Short loves Sleep No More. Sleep No More. Yeah. You know, they're, and they're I'm sure there are people who love the Ashilder stories. But I think if you look at certainly, and I think you have to use those polls as a fair gauge to the overall yeah. audience. Mm-hmm. It's not, and none of that's subjective, and none of it's our opinion. No. But it's the collective opinion writ large, because I'm sure there's probably about 50,000 people doing that part. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't think we DWN these days. When David Tennant's face is on the cover, at least 50,000. You mm-hmm. know, that's why it's only so many. But, but if you look, a lot of Series 9 is low. Yeah, and there is a reason for that. I, I don't think it's a popular year. I, it's not, no. you know, people don't celebrate it alongside four and five, do they? No. Mm-hmm. Though I did did read someone who said it was his favourite year of Doctor Who ever. So, you know... I've heard a few people say that, you know. Yeah. And and that just goes to show there is something for everyone. Everyone. Well, so, as I always ask you at this opportune moment, where are we going next? Well, you know, we keep talking about the Day of the Doctor, but that's for the anniversary which is coming up shortly so we should probably do that but i did throw another story at you recently that we almost did tonight and it's classic series and it's a base under siege and it's the ark in space oh yes what is it about you choosing these stories with no humor (laughs) i know well i've done lots of stories with humor so (laughs) yeah we don't want to say you're a one-trick pony (laughs) Oh, that would be gold, wouldn't it? Actually, there is a lot of humour in that. It's just quite subtle. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that will be be interesting to compare it to this one. I'm going to break it to you, though. Uh, Yes, we are going to do the Ark in Space, and we are going to do Day of the Doctor, and you and Fraser and I are going to finish up 
planet of spiders. We're also going to do the tenth planet <laughs> and the five doctors. And, and the five doctors. <laughs> and you and I are going to do the Sarah Jane adventures. We are. Yes. Yes, we and are. The conclusion I'm drawing is we've got many adventures ahead of us. Yeah, we've had, we've got many behind us, and yeah. we've got loads more to come. <laughs> well, should we go and get on that path and have those adventures? Yeah, well, you know, Joe, life on Earth can be an adventure too. <laughs> I'm going there. <laughs>